Welcome to the Business in Vancouver podcast. I'm Haley Wooden. I'm Tyler Orton. And this podcast is brought to you by Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors. Well, later on today, Haley, we're going to be speaking to Matthew Clevenstein. He is a clean tech chronicler and he's a communications consultant, but he's doing a lot of work with regards to, say, electric vehicles. He's actually an engineer by trade, so we're going to be welcoming him on the show and kind of pick his brain for a a few moments. Uh, I want to get a a better grasp of where we are going with this particular industry. I have had the chance to ride in a few, actually drive a few electric vehicles. and I haven't yet. It's but a, I'm curious. It's a bit of a different experience, though. But it's I would say it's cool. And you, you kind of get the feeling with a lot of like other countries kind of phasing out uh, or mandating that uh, fossil fuel driven vehicles will be phased out over the mm-hmm. coming years. It's going to be interesting what direction we go there. Yeah, I know. I've been in hybrid vehicles. How quiet it is yeah. is always a little disconcerting, but a good thing, obviously, a cleaner technology. Excellent. So that's going to be after the break. But first... Uh, This podcast is brought to you by Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors. Manning Elliott has been providing expert accounting, assurance, business advisory, tax, and valuation services to businesses in the Lower Mainland and Fraser Valley since 1952. If you're serious about taking your business and brand to the next level, and if you want an accounting firm that'll be there to help you every step of the way, give Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors a call at 604-714-3600. That's 604-714-3600. Or you can check them out on their website at manningelliott.ca. Well, we are back on the BIV podcast. And join us today is our guest, Matthew Klippenstein. He is a clean tech chronicler and communications consultant. He's actually an engineer by trade, even worked at Ballard back in the day. And uh, he's also a director at the Vancouver Electric Vehicle Association. I've, we've been able to chat with them on the show as well. Mm-hmm. But Matthew, I want to thank you for joining us on the BIV podcast. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Tyler. Thank you, Haley. Um, I should say former director. I guess I former director. Be, uh, I better update my LinkedIn page. There. Okay, <laughs> not a problem. But it is cool talking to the people over there. Uh, we've uh, kind of been delving in a little bit about like what the Vancouver market is like with regards to kind of the consumer side of things, as well as I think a lot of the development of technologies coming out of here. But you tell me, uh, I- I'm assuming you're an EV driver, is that correct? Uh, yes, we have a plug-in hybrid ourselves. Well, what do you guys drive exactly? So we drive a Prius plug-in, and at the time it was the only five-seat plug-in hybrid vehicle that uh, was available in the market. We wanted to have a plug-in hybrid as opposed to a battery electric vehicle because we were renting in an apartment building and we were never sure that we Ah. could get uh, access to charging. So that is one of the big things that uh, the city of Vancouver, to their credit, is working on and many other technology companies as well because uh, in Vancouver proper, I think almost 70% of housing units are in multi-unit dwellings. And so... Unless those people uh, have, or unless we, counting myself among them, have the ability to charge at home, that will really um, slow down the adoption of this technology. Isn't one of the things that the city of Vancouver is pursuing those uh, essentially like building like station charging stations throughout the city? But I, I un- also understand that there's going to be issues about like who's paying for it all because I think people are like, oh, it's electricity. I just plug in. It's all just for free, unlike gasoline. <laughs> yes. So uh, the city has recently begun. Uh, switching from a free charging approach to a an approach where public charging stations uh, you, they do charge for uh, the electricity or for the for the service, if you will, which is a pay as you go kind of approach, which is ultimately the sustainable approach. Uh, you can't have people 
always um, getting something for nothing. So that's entirely reasonable. Um, however, the challenge with, or the opportunity really with electric vehicles is that you may not have quite as much range as a gasoline powered vehicle, but uh, by and large, if you can charge at home, then you start every day with a full tank. And so unless you're doing those once a year trips over to see relatives in Saskatchewan, like we have, uh, or going to Disneyland or something, then it really isn't a, isn't an obstacle. So uh, the city of Vancouver is working on deploying more chargers, certainly, but uh, having the ability to charge at home really is a lever that uh, people indicate if they can't do that or if they're not sure they can do that or if they're afraid of public speaking and don't want to talk to their strata about it, <laughs> that is, again, um, that can be an impediment. Yeah. And the community is trying to help um, overcome that. Might not just be public speaking that or, <laughs> forces people to be shy about speaking to or, their strata. Or even private speaking. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, um, that, that's interesting. When you liken it to a tank of gas, would it last typically as long as a tank of gas? So, for example, you don't need to go to the gas station every day. Right. So uh, the first generation of electric vehicles, like the early Nissan Leaf, uh, did not have the same range, anywhere close to the same range that uh, gas gasoline vehicles do. Uh, perhaps you might have 500 kilometers, possibly up to 1,000 kilometers on your gasoline vehicle. Uh, that said, you are going every few weeks or every week uh, to charge it up at a station. And um, with the electric vehicles, um, now we have the Chevy Bolt EV, mm -hmm. Bolt as in Burnaby, as opposed to Volt as in Vancouver. <laughs> right, okay. So, so the, uh, <laughs> the, the Bolt EV has uh, uh, the Canadian... Um, Regulatory bodies estimate its range at about 380 kilometers, which is amazing. And uh, the Nissan Leaf is expected to come out at about 250 kilometers. Uh, the Tesla Model 3, when it arrives, knock on wood, is probably the, the initial ones will come out in the in, in excess of 300 kilometers as well. So now you're getting to the point where uh, there isn't that much range anxiety about if I go to pick up relatives at the ferry, then go up to Whistler and every which where am I going to um, get stuck? I just need to make sure I, I stop at a very friendly motel when I'm making those cross-country road trips in the electric vehicle. Uh, yes. And actually, uh, funny you should mention that, uh, there is a company out of Saskatchewan, of all places, uh, Sun Country, uh, which has installed uh, relatively uh, fast uh, chargers, uh, not the direct current super fast chargers, but these level two chargers at a number of uh, hotel chains, convenience store chains all across the country. So even before the public sector, the government stepped in to try to provide a, a Trans-Canada network, uh, they have basically established their own, which is a, a credit to them and the utility that um, electric vehicle chargers can provide to lodging and other businesses. Why would they do that, though? Like, What, what is kind of the interest on their part in pursuing that? So uh, Sun Country's interest is that they're, they're very much electric vehicle enthusiasts themselves. Uh, the owner owns a Tesla. The interest for the hotels is twofold. Uh, the first uh, interest is that they can have more people who are traveling will choose to go to their hotel as opposed to someone else's. Uh, the secondary benefit is that if and when the hotel service vehicles uh, electrify, whether they become plug-in hybrids or maybe even pure battery electric vehicles, they can be the first ones to take advantage of this because they already have some charging um, uh, charging infrastructure on site. So there's, there is um, a compatible mutual interest between what Sun Country's initiative was and has been, they are actually expanding to the states, and mm -hmm. between the different businesses that they're targeting. 
I'm curious then, it sounds like charging at home, obviously, and then say at motels and hotels makes sense. It's overnight. You don't need to figure out what do you do with an hour or two of your time. Right. Is that the most logical path forward? Or do you think we might see, say, businesses? So during the day when you're not using your car, they have charging stations as well as things like malls or movie theaters, sort of the commercial side offering? Yes. So, so a number of malls have... Um have installed charging stations. I would imagine that a number of golf courses as well. Uh, mm. Certainly, if you play a full 18-hole uh, amount of golf, that's Eight a, that's a lot of time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, I haven't even gotten through 18 holes in a day. Thank you. Um, I think there is actually a very interesting opportunity for your superstores and your Walmarts uh, when they're competing with Amazon because these large big box retailers have enormous parking lots. They have a lot of electrical uh, capacity already for them to put in, say, you know, a dozen um, fast chargers. These are uh, chargers which could perhaps refill your vehicle in half an hour. You know, perfect for a residential apartment dweller who might not be able to charge at home. Uh, Amazon doesn't offer that; they bring everything to you. Mm. But uh, if you know, it is likely that most people will continue to go shopping occasionally, and these large big box retailers have the opportunity and the infrastructure kind of in place where they could uh, deploy this service and then capture those consumors. So it is a, there's an, there is an element of self-interest there. But it cannot go on where they're just giving it away oh, all for free, certainly right? Certainly not, certainly yeah. not. So, so there's a superstore in, um, there are probably others, uh, where they sell gasoline. Costco sells gasoline as well. So in this case, the pricing for a fast electric charge would probably be set such that the retailer or the big box retailer could recoup their costs. Yeah. You know, they don't want to, they don't, they don't want to um, waste money. Of course, uh, at the same time, they already do this with gasoline. It's probably something that they don't have to make a healthy profit margin on because it brings consumers into the door. And I suspect that people who have been conditioned to spending forty dollars, possibly more, to fill up their vehicle, they might be okay with occasionally spending $40 to fill up their electric vehicle, especially if they're not always able to top up at home. Right. And they, they can perhaps get a few hours here or there when they go to the Tim Hortons or something. Uh, but uh, as you, as, you know, shopping, you're kind of already spending a half an hour or more there. You get your, your car charged up, then it, it kind of works. There's a synergy there. I actually remember growing up going to the superstore in Langley. They had the gas station there. It was like a penny cheaper, so my parents liked it. And you also get coupons <laughs> to go to superstore. Like you'd get for every, I don't know, liter or something, you'd get a penny or 10 cents off. Yeah, You guys were just rolling in money with oh, we uh, were so, the, just like, dimes everywhere. Yeah, with all the all the PC points you can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> now good at shoppers, by the way, or yeah, yes, yes. Oh, yeah, the yes, Optimum yes. card, it's uh, switching over. Yeah, yeah uh, it was we're, an early beginner. We're both excited, that. Haley. We're both yeah. excited. Oh, make it three of us. <laughs> three oh, nice, of us. Nice, okay. There you go. Horribly off topic now, but I um, <laughs> want to drive it, pardon the pun, back. So, I mean, the adoption of electric vehicles, it's nowhere near being sort of a mass market thing, right? A lot of interest, a lot of attention paid to it. What does this mean by way of energy? Are we going to face a big energy crunch if you have thousands of people in a jurisdiction plugging their vehicles in? Yeah, so there are two elements to that, just uh, in terms of uh, how fast electric vehicles will come. Maybe we can just touch on that yeah. before going to the energy question. And uh, since cars are a consumer market, there are more than 200 models available in Canada, and maybe 40-ish of them have a plug-in version or, or a, a plug-in electric vehicle. And so the market share for electric vehicles in Canada is on the order of 1%. It's a little bit higher than that in BC and Quebec, 
a little bit lower in Ontario and uh, very low elsewhere. Part of that reason is that most electric vehicles thus far have been sedans. And everything is about crossovers and SUVs nowadays, especially since gas has gone from insanely expensive to not as insanely expensive, although it has climbed back recently. Um, as we see more SUVs uh, arriving and at plug-in form, and especially when Ford brings its plug-in hybrid F-150 out in 2020, uh, the Ford F-150 is like 7% Canadian market share, It's it, the, the F-Series. Mm -hmm. So you'd certainly see a lot more adoption there, especially outside of this urban circle where most electric vehicles are concentrated right now. So um, the electric vehicle on the consumer side, very hard to move. Everyone wants their own vehicle. Everyone has their own needs. For buses and trucks, uh, as was the case with the recent Loblaw story, I suspect that you'll see a much faster transition because those are utilitarian. Those are commodity goods, total cost of ownership rules, almost everything else. And electric vehicles do offer considerable savings. With respect to the energy, uh, electric vehicles are much more efficient. Uh, when you're using combustion, um, you might get 25% uh, of the energy in that gallon of gasoline, that liter of gasoline rather, that actually goes to push your car forward. And most uh, regular combustion vehicles don't recover energy on braking. With the electric vehicles, um, all of them have regenerative braking. They all can recharge the battery when you brake. And the electricity from the from the juice that goes into the car, perhaps you get 90-odd percent towards forward motion. There, there are some losses, but it's very minor. As a result, for every, say, 100 units of gasoline that we consume, we only have to replace it perhaps with 30 units of electricity. Hmm. Now, that doesn't mean we can all go charging at home at 6 p.m. because that would that would cause problems with the hydro. Would we get a, a bit blackout? of a brownout or something like that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but yeah. Uh, again, we're we're far from that stage, and already there are systems in place and programs where, um, you know, some of the more uh, forward-thinking utilities um, and even the car companies are have timers and such, so you can fill your car at you know eleven p.m. to five a.m. Or, or what have you. So there will be a, a requirement for more electricity the overall actual energy usage will go down and there are ways to manage um, as it will take decades to, to clear all the fossil fuel vehicles out. There's plenty of time for innovative entrepreneurs to you know, generate solutions and get you know, heck of a lot wealthier than I am uh, based <laughs> on those solutions. Well, at the beginning of our conversation, you mentioned that you drive a Toyota Prius. You also brought up the Leaf as well. We really haven't touched upon, I think, what car company is often synonymous with electric vehicles, though. Tesla, tell me a little bit about, I don't know, what, what you think of how they're doing business and what it could mean for the future of electric vehicles. Sure. Tesla has a has a very, has created for itself a very enviable position. It's an amazing brand. And the challenge that it has had is, in recent years, the actual vehicle's performance has not kept up with the brand. So mm. Tesla has this amazing aura, this amazing halo to their credit. And the Model S was a magnificent, is a, mod, is a magnificent vehicle. It, it broke uh, Consumer Reports um, rating system. I think they gave it a 103 on 100 a few years back on initial, um, initial uh, purchase score. However, the Model X, their SUV, uh, their SUV is actually tied for the worst rated luxury SUV in Consumer Reports uh, scoring system for a variety of reasons, among them quality. And so the Model 3, which is their mass market vehicle, they're trying to make this 
vehicle, um, sell it profitably, distribute it widely at $35,000 US as a price point. So this is a real key because this will tell us, you know, was the Model X an unusual flaw, like everyone has an off day, they went a bit too aggressive on the Model X, or, and this is, a, this is the more concerning part, was the Model S, their sedan, just a fluke and they got lucky? And is, is the Model 3 going to be more uh, Model X-like in reviews than the Model S? So um, you'll see a lot of tech people will be very uh, bought into the, uh, the Tesla mythos, the, the Tesla uh, brand, you know, the, the identification. And a lot of auto people who tend to be a different crowd being very skeptical, saying it doesn't look like they've mastered mass production. Their manufacturing systems don't seem to be up to par with what a globally healthy um, auto manufacturer has. So, so we'll see in the coming months how that, uh, that plays out because this is the moment that everyone's been waiting for to see how everything shakes out. I like how you segmented that. You have the the believers in electric vehicles, the the auto crowd, where arguably maybe a lot of people find themselves. And you also have the trucking industry. And today we're recording on November 16th. Tesla is expected to announce its electric semi-truck, which right. people in the industry might be a little skeptical of in terms of, okay, it's going long distances. What's the power? What's the haul capacity? All of that. And not to mention, Tesla's faced a lot of delays with its Model 3. So questions about it has these lofty goals. Can it actually scale up and deliver on production? What are your thoughts on that? Right. So I guess in this one case, um, I lean more towards the auto industry skeptics. Having been at Ballard Power Systems before, I know what happens when you get too optimistic about things. <laughs> um, but uh, there, uh, I, I do worry that... Um, Tesla has talked about it being in production hell right now as it's trying to bring the Model mm -hmm. 3 production up. And it is admirable what they want to do. They want to make, I think at various points, they've had a goal of making a half a million uh, Tesla Model 3s as of next year, which is 10,000 per week. And uh, they're talking about they're going to have to go through a number of months to ramp production up. And the difficulty is that in the auto sector, companies do this all the time. Uh, the Nissan-Renault-Mitsubishi alliance, it's now one big um, uh, cooperative group there, they're going to increase production by 4 million cars a year by 2022, which if you do the math, it's like they're going to add 800,000 vehicles per year every year for the next five years. And they're not going to go through this production hell because they're very organized. Auto manufacturing is one of the most ruthless businesses in the world. The logistics, the skill sets... Um, it's an amazing ballet. It is, it, is, it is magical when you see it working together. And Tesla doesn't seem to, isn't showing the signs that it has coordinated all of this. Uh, to make an example, um, as valuable as Tom Brady may be for the New England Patriots, he's one guy on a team with all sorts of players. There's offensive uh, lineup, there's a defensive, there's a special teams, trainers and everything like that. Tom Brady is uh, that. That's a the football example is good for the auto sector, whereas in software you could have a situation like basketball where LeBron James is the Cleveland uh, Cavaliers. He's on the on the on the court for forty plus minutes a game. Um, there's much more opportunity for one single charismatic leader like Elon Musk to really dent the universe, and uh, that's just not the case in auto manufacturing where it's more of a defensive game where. Um, making baskets and occasionally making mistakes, you, you can live with that. 
Auto manufacturing is like soccer where one mistake really cripples you and you may not be able to recover for the entire game. Mm-hmm. Do you anticipate Tesla could be facing these big mistakes? They could, I don't know, what would it mean if Tesla did not kind of uh, deliver what it's been promising for a long time? Um, so as a member of the EV community, my worry is that if Tesla stumbles, that would cause a, a backlash on electric vehicles because all the people on one side of the political spectrum will say, oh, you know, you you uh, dreamy, lefty granola eaters, you you can't really survive without subsidies and all these other other silly things. Um, now, that won't happen because every automaker has has realized, wow, you know, even if we only make plug-in hybrids, it is a superior drive. It's quieter, better acceleration, much, um, much, uh, it's a superior consumer experience ultimately. And for trucking and for buses, it's a cheaper experience to boot. Um, with, with the falling cost of batteries, it will soon be a cheaper experience even for consumers. Uh, so I'm not worried about um, the electric vehicle growth in the long term, but if Tesla hits a speed bump, then that could kind of slow things down or, or wind up with a lot of shade getting uh, thrown at the, at the EV sector. Right. Uh, Matthew, one of the other things that you've been uh, looking into is, say, battery power, and especially with uh, you've penned a, uh, an article recently for Green Tech Media examining how maybe venture capital is drying up a little bit for battery technologies. Tell us a little bit what, what's going on and how that plays into what we're talking about overall here. Sure. Well, one of the wonderful things in many sectors is that as you increase your total manufacturing of, of a product, then costs come down. And so with batteries, with, um, with vehicles, with, also with solar panels, wind turbines, uh, the more you make, the, the, you figure out ways to make things cheaper. Uh, there has been a lot of venture capital poured in in the past decade into clean energy technologies, batteries, fuel cells, uh, other technologies. And that funding has kind of dried up because, you know, in the end, it's a whole lot easier to make you know, 10x your money on software, which has virtually no marginal cost. If, you, if you're a network, you upload your software, other people download it, not a problem. But when you're making physical things, then there is a marginal cost and it is much more difficult to get network effects with which to capture an audience. Uh, there are some, there, there, Vancouver has actually had a history, a proud history of electrochemical innovation, not just uh, fuel cells, but batteries as well. Uh, in the early 90s, there was a company called, or there still is a company called uh, Molly Energy, and they made some of the world's first lithium ion batteries. And as it turns out, there was some sort of a incident, uh, possibly a fire. I'm not saying that definitively, don't quote me, but uh, I believe there was, there was some sort of incident which cast a pall on the company. And so a lot of these battery experts wound up at Ballard. Mm-hmm. And Ballard grew up, uh, had a bit of a bubble there, shrank back down. And uh, some of the expertise has gone to other companies like Corvus or PBES, who are providing big batteries for marine applications. So Vancouver has had a long history of battery, fuel cell, electrochemical innovation. Uh, one of the recent companies that uh, has gotten a bit of profile is uh, Nano One. Uh, they're actually, they were actually founded by a fellow from Creo, now Kodak. And um, what they're proposing to do is to um, reduce the cost of manufacturing cathode powders uh, with a bit more of an elegant uh, chemical processing method. Um, as with all startups, you know, it's, a, it's very Darwinian. You know, a thousand startups start, 
maybe a couple exit. Sure. Uh, but uh, one one thing which has uh, offered some promise in their particular case, and uh, you know, full disclosure, I don't own stock in them or do any business with them. But uh, from that objective perspective, one of the uh, big opportunities they have is that they're tackling a chemical process that is fairly inefficient, and they do appear to have a more elegant way of of uh, producing these high cost powders. Uh, maybe to make one example. Um, Aluminum is so cheap now that we use for aluminum foil, it's practically disposable. But way back in the day, aluminum, pure aluminum, was more expensive than gold. And so like the, the third emperor Napoleon of France had aluminum silverware or <laughs> aluminumware because it was so rare. Yeah. And then uh, there was a, a, a brilliant innovation, uh, I think it was the hall Haru process, where people figured out, okay, well, if we apply an electric current, we can make pure aluminum very cheaply, and now it's disposable. So in, in, in a similar way, if, if you can tackle an inefficient or high-cost chemical process and bring that down, and crucially, if you can license that to someone who's already in the business, then there's a big opportunity to, um, to capture rewards, to generate the kind of um, investment and benefits for the Vancouver area. Uh, rather than trying to boil the ocean and becoming a Sumitomo Chemicals or, or some other big player yourself. I, I'd hope uh, ocean boiling is off the table. Personally. Yes, that is. Yeah. A, we're doing a fairly good enough job of that as, as it uh, yeah. is, I guess. Okay. Well, Matthew, pleasure talking to you. I want to thank you for joining us on the show today. Well, thank you very much. That's Matthew Klippenstein. He's a clean tech chronicler and a communications consultant. And uh, this is the Business in Vancouver podcast. Matthew, before we let you go, if anybody wants to uh, follow you online or, or follow any of the work you're doing, what's the best way to track you down? Sure. Uh, easiest way to track me down is probably on Twitter. I'm um, at Electroncom. That's uh, E-L-E-C-T-R-O-N-C-O-M-M. That's uh, derived from Electron Communications, uh, my company name. And my chronicling of the Canadian uh, electric car industry is uh, done at greencarreports.com. And anyone who's really into numbers and statistics, I maintain an open access page on a Google spreadsheet. That's at tinyurl.com forward slash Canada EV sales. You are going to have a lot of things to chronicle over the years ahead, I'm sure. <laughs> I, I certainly uh, hope so and look forward to it. Great. Pleasure having you on the show. This podcast, of course, is brought to you by Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors. You can find past podcasts, radio show clips, more business news over at BIV.com. Tyler, if anyone wants to connect with you, where should they go? Yeah, they can find me on Twitter. I'm at Reporton. That's R-E-P-O-R-T-O-N. What about you, Haley? I'm also on Twitter. My handle is at Haley Wooden. Feel free to say hi. And again, BIV.com to connect with both of us and our stories. That's it for our podcast today. Thanks again for listening to Business in Vancouver. We'll catch you next time.